the uh, owner, he used to go in there practically every night until 11 o'clock, uh, and he said he was standing at the counter, and he had a, a very loud cough just at his ear. And uh, then, from time to time, a ghostly figure would be seen wandering around the shop. So I used my divining rods and I found a line of energy, spirit line coming through the window, which is very unusual, they don't come through glass. And the energy went into the wall. And they said at the time, well, there's a door there, which I never thought anything of, because uh, <coughs> it was only later that um, a paranormal expert came from King's Kettle with his uh, medium. And she stood just where John had heard the uh, disembodied cough and said, oh, I can see a little old man who's coming through the window there. And that's in the line of energy I found. He said, he's walking out to the left, he's opening up a door and going upstairs. Uh, as I say, there's no sign of a door there now, and I never knew there was a door there, and she certainly didn't. But she could still see that little old man. I could find the energy with my divining rods, and she could see it with her inner vision or whatever it was. Hi there, this is Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 26 from the British Society of Dowsers. I'm your host, Graham Gardner. As you can probably tell from that little teaser of an intro, our show today leads us to explore some of the darker corners of the Earth energy world during an interview with a very well-known dowser, David Cowan. David is perhaps best known for his work meticulously mapping out the sinuous flows of subtle earth energies across the mountains and glens of Scotland, which involves him walking thousands of miles in all sorts of weather. Uh, This research is fully documented in his book, Leyline and Earth Energies, which is now in its second edition. David's independent research has led him to develop several innovative dowsing techniques, and he has been a great influence on many other dowsers, particularly, of course, in the field of earth energies. David is a life member of the BSD, and has been a frequent contributor of articles to our journal Dowsing Today, as well as the earlier Earth Energies Group newsletter, and you can still find some of these articles in the online newsletter archive on the EEG website. His second book, Safe as Houses, which he co-authored with Rodney Girdlestone, looks at the effect of electrostress on our bodies and in our lives, and documents his dowsing research in that area. And both his books are absolutely fascinating, and well recommended if you haven't read them. Now we'll get to David in just a moment, but first... I'm quite excited to be bringing you a bit of news about our 2011 conference, as we have a lot of international speakers attending this year, ranging from Brazil, via California and Georgia, to the far-flung places of Canada, and then over to Cyprus and beyond. It's a veritable panoply of the latest understanding of dowsing as quantum information, pushing the boundaries of our knowledge, challenging our practical abilities, stretching our preconceptions with new ideas to inspire from all around the world. And that sales pitch was courtesy of the wonderful Helen Lamb at the BSD office, in case you're wondering. Now, I'm not allowed to give you any more information at present, as we haven't formally published the programme yet, but you'll be able to see the full details on the main website very soon. But just to whet your appetite, I will tell you that one of our international speakers and workshop leaders will be Susan Collins, who is a past president of the Canadian Society of Dowsers, and who will be featuring in this very podcast in the not-too-distant future. 
Conference dates are from the 23rd to 25th of September at the Royal Agricultural College in Sirencester, our most popular venue. And booking opens in April, so make sure you get your place booked early. Uh, Now to update you on a couple of courses, Um, our popular Earth Energies curriculum continues with course number 2, Understanding Geopathic Stress, and that's on Saturday the 9th and Sunday the 10th of April, and uh, being tutored by Peter Stott in Ashton Underhill Community Centre in Gloucester. Uh, Courses 3 and 4 in the Earth Energies series are going to be tutored by my good self, and the first of those, Understanding Geopsychic Stress, is on the 7th and 8th of May in Stanton Drew Stone Circle, uh, which is just south of Bristol. And that reminds me, I'd better get cracking and get some preparation work started on that one. Our other registered tutors have a couple of their own events coming up. Uh, On the 26th of March, there's a one-day introduction to Dowsing for Beginners, led by our director, John Moss, ably assisted by his uh, good wife, Jill Moss, and Ba Miller. Uh, That's happening at Trevisco, near Hale, down in Cornwall, so it'll be well worth attending that if you're uh, in the area. And uh, Vicky Sweetlove is leading a two-day foundation course on the 2nd or 3rd of April, and that's happening in London. Uh, More details, of course, on the main website at britishdowsers.org. And now to my interview with David Cowan. Now, David doesn't get around as much these days, as he had a horrific car crash a couple of years ago and suffered multiple injuries, including a broken neck, uh, from which he's still recovering. So I went up to meet him at his home in Creef, where we had a rather nice lunch, and David showed me around some of the more interesting parts of the town that feature in his book. It was a very pleasant afternoon, and we had a good chat about his dowsing work, covering topics such as black spirals, cup-marked stones, spirit lines, demonic attacks, poltergeists, and even Freemasons. So a very wide-ranging talk that I'm sure you'll find fascinating. Here's my interview with David. Anyway, David, uh, okay. thanks for uh, agreeing to talk to us for this. Well, it's my pleasure. A pleasure to spend some time with you. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with your work, perhaps you could talk a little bit about your life and uh, what got you into dowsing. Well, it started uh, something like 40 years ago. Uh, it was a programme in Tomorrow's World showing you how to use divining rods, which I didn't believe at first. Um, the programme was about this little machine an inventor had made and the idea was to send an energy down a line which could be picked up by another machine and it was supposed to allow aircraft and ships to navigate a very precise course. Unfortunately, although they could make the energy go down the line, they couldn't find any other machine to pick up the energy. Mm-hmm. And the only way they could pick up the energy was by using divining rods, which I thought, you know, this is ridiculous. And the Tomorrow's World programme, which is a very good scientific programme. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I made a, a machine rather similar to it, and all it was was a, a box with a light bulb inside and a piece of quartz for the window, and the light shone through the quartz and made a narrow beam of energy down the, you know, for quite some distance. And I tried, I made a simple machine like that myself, and then I got my divining rod, a bit, uh, it was an angled rod, and found to my amazement I could find the energy coming from that machine. And then I discovered that uh, I could find the energy going through the wall of the house into the bedroom, which uh, surprised me quite a lot. Uh, bearing in mind, of course, radio waves do pass through stone windows and things. But um, in that program, it had a sequel to it, and the sequel was they switched the machine off. You could still find the energy coming from it. 
And again, I thought, oh, this, this is even worse. So I went back to my little machine, switched, switched it on for a little time, switched it off, and there was energy still coming from it, which uh, bamboozled me quite a bit. So after that, I began to take up uh, divining more seriously. I went to St. Fillings, where there's um, a big hydroelectric station, and you could hear the water uh, running through the tunnels, and the tunnel was a sort of half mound. You could see it stretching down into the distance. And I found if I used my divining rod, I could follow the tunnel down. It seemed to be a way of bouncing off the tunnel from side to side. And I thought, this actually does work. And then, being interested in um, standing stones, I picked up uh, Tom Graves work. And uh, then I tried this, the, my divining rods at a standing stone. And needles of stone. Needles of stone, yeah. that's correct. And then I discovered that uh, I could pick up the energy of my standing stones, which uh, surprised me even more. My life's been full of surprises ever since, actually. So, being a keen hill walker, I started to follow these ley lines across country and picking up things which I never knew about. Uh, eventually, I came to one particular stone outside Fulford in a small glen near Creef. Uh, that is in a concave depression, the only concave depression in the area. And uh, this standing stone is, is now recumbent, it's lying down, as something like 60 cut marks on its surface. One particular cut mark, it's actually two cut marks with a sort of S between it, rather like a dumbbell shape. So I used my divining rods and I found the energy going round the stone. It went to about half a mile away to another small mound and then round that in a dumbbell shape. And I thought, oh, that's what the stand these standing stones and these cut marks or petroglyphs are for. So I did a little bit more work and discovered there was another shell of energy outside that. Then another and another, like Pandora's box, it was sort of more... Um, more shells of energy the further out you went. <coughs> so, of an onion. Yeah, precisely. Mm. So um, I followed one particular, and I walked and walked and walked, and uh, eventually I came to this cave in the hills. Uh, it's a sort of above-ground cave, if you can understand. It's a huge stone, about 12 feet high, uh, and it's got six labs placed around it to form a cave above ground. And the energy went into the mouth of this cave, through the back of the cave, between the interstices, between these uh, slabs, and then went across the Loch Tay, uh, taking in uh, Finn McCumble's sword cut, which I still can't understand. This is a huge slice of the hill, which has made a ravine. It's almost as if it's been cleaved off. And according to the ancient legend, it was Finn McCumble with the sword Makin Luin, the magic sword, which means the son of the waves, which may mean something. Uh, he was supposed to have stood in one hill, in one foot, and stood in a hill about four miles away with his other foot, and then he turned with his sword back and low and they cleaved this huge ravine. Anyway, then as he goes through this ravine, straight into the centre of Loch Tay, and by that time I was able to uh, pick it up on the other side of Loch Tay. I was quite well tuned into it. And it went into a stone circle at Macqueen. So we went to the stone circle and then we made a huge circle of energy way up to Loch Tay, no, past Loch Tay, and then back to the stone circle, into the, uh, into the stone circle, and then another uh, spiral of energy again, back into the stone circle, and then from the stone circle back to the Druid's Cave, and made a huge dumbbell shape of energy on the ground. That's about, what, 15, 20 miles across. Mm. And even outside that, there was other shells of energy. And uh, every so often, when I'd be following one, it would come to a stone circle, like the one at Clinn. 
and uh, the energy there was uh, uh, t it was uh, worked to another direction completely to another circuit, two, two or three circuits of energy. Um, the strange things about this, uh, one of the things I find about Earth energy is you have to keep walking and following these energies to find out their strange qualities. This type of energy, it's a, it's a type of ley line, but it's a circular ley line. Mm. And uh, one of the strange qualities is that uh, it tunes into graves or any resonant cavity, like a house for instance. If you build a house, this energy goes out of its way to go into this house. It also tunes into various things. For instance, uh, I was following across the hills one day and I came to a ravine and uh, it was very bad weather and the snow was a real blizzard. It was blowing horizontally across the ground. I was still struggling my way th uh, through the hills to find this energy. And I followed it up to this um, another ravine again in the hills. It was a hill notch, actually. And uh, there in the hill notch was a dead deer. And the energy seemed to go into the body of the dead deer, which I couldn't understand. Um, and then I carried it on further up, higher and higher. And about 100 yards past that, I stood on what I thought was a boulder. It wasn't a boulder, it was a dead sheep. It was all mushy. Mm. And the energy picked, found that. And after that, another few hundred yards further on, there was a dead seagull. And then after that was bodies of dead hares and dead birds all the way from Lochairn to Loch Tay, which I found rather unnerving to say the least. Okay. Until I came to, a week or two later, I was still following this, wondering what on earth was going on. And I came to this, um, the, the south side of Loch Tay. I was following this energy which contours hills. It won't go straight over the hill, it contours hills. That's another of its qualities. And I was contouring inside the hill in springtime this time, and I saw this thing gleaming in the distance, and the energy was actually going towards it, and I thought, that's rather strange, it seems to be attracted to that white thing. A bit short-sighted, I couldn't figure out what it was. It was a sheep skull, another resonant cavity, and it deliberately tuned into that. And then further on there was an old burial ground, away about a thousand feet up in the hills, which is no place for a burial ground normally. It doesn't seem to be in the middle of nowhere. Mm. It tuned into that. And that's what uh, they were doing. All, all of these energies, all they placed all their burial grounds on these uh, outskirts of this energy. But um, the uh, sheep skull I discovered was actually a resonating cavity. And I discovered on that sheep skull, I could use my divine rods and find the energy, same shape as the sheep skull, going further and further out. So you had about 150 yards of energy from that sheep skull. And when this ley line touched the, uh, any part of it, it automatically focused into the centre. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's attracted to resonant cavities. So that was one uh, thing. The other thing was... Um, I was following the energy. It always tunes into logs. It's always attracted into bodies of water, like Loch Tay. That's why it goes into the centre of Loch Tay. And uh, I was following it uh, to this one particular log. Then all of a sudden, I knew I was going going there because it always did. But this particular time, without any warning, my divining rod showed me the energy was turning to the right, at a right angle. And I followed up the hillside for about 100 yards or so, and then went back onto course towards this log. So there was something distracting it. I couldn't understand why, and I had a more careful look, and I discovered that uh, this energy had actually tuned into uh, a stone, a boulder, which had an iron insert in it, part of an old dike, which had been knocked down many years ago in a snowstorm, in a blizzard, or whatever. And uh, in, in effect, there was a random number of boulders with iron inserts in them, and this energy picked out one after the other, and it actively seeked out this energy. And then once it had finished that, it went back on course again. 
And another particular time I was falling out across this um, wood where the trees have been cut down, and as soon as this energy had touched uh, one of the bases of one of these cut trees, it was levelled to the ground, it started to tune into all the other trees. So you always get that, even a piece of fence wire, if you put a piece of fence wire down, on this particular type of ley line, they'll start looking for other bits of fence wire as well too. So it has a sort of memory, if you like. How does this energy um, differentiate from normal, what people would normal call uh, a ley? I mean, does it have a definable width? Uh, yes, this particular the energy, it was about 22, wavelength, 22 feet wavelength. Uh, that was another very strange thing as well, too, I discovered. Uh, I was following this um, energy, it's a sinusoidal wave, a vertical wave of energy, and I was following it, uh, I think it was up uh, off side somewhere, and um, I was thinking about nothing in particular. And as I say, the wavelength was 20, uh, a long wave, 22 feet, then all of a sudden it narrowed down to the millimetres, and I was going back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. And um, I spent about 10 minutes, and I got about 5 yards, because this energy was so uh, magnified, it was in the microwave uh, range. Mm. And I thought that was rather strange, it, it gradually went back to the 22 feet wavelength. So I thought that's rather odd, so I tried to find it went back in the reverse direction, discovered I couldn't find that magnified energy. And uh, I was struggling to find out to think what was going on, and I thought, at the time this energy magnified, I was thinking of a friend of mine who we used to walk around the hills all the time together. We spent most of our lives hill walking, and he died uh, some years before that. So I started to concentrate on him, and as soon as I concentrated on him, this 20-foot wavelength uh, was magnified. The energy was compressed into a millimeter wave, uh, millimeter wavelength, back and forward, back and forward. So then I thought of my father who died about 20 years ago. It took a bit longer. But after that, the, the energy became compressed. In other words, when I thought of anybody who had died, it seemed to magnify that energy several thousand times, which I still can't understand. Um, that was one of the other strange things about this type of energy. Well, I know that certainly normal, uh, what we call energy lays, can be affected by intent. So thinking mm -hmm. about something will widen or narrow it. But that's a very interesting correlation with thinking yep. about um, somebody that's died. And uh, if I thought of somebody who was alive, nothing happened. That's a strange thing. Mm. Mm. Very odd. Maybe other people managed to pick that up and mm. try and find out more about it. I find the correspondence with the, uh, the dead animals and the bone interesting as well, because mm. that has resonance with uh, well, bio-organic farming, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, also Billy Gaunt's work. I know Billy's done a lot of work in um, activating things like a, a stone cairn will, um, uh -huh. uh, can be activated with intent if you put a piece of bone in it. Uh -huh. And it's more effective with the bone inside uh, than it is without. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. It is very interesting, yeah. Mm. That's good. Mm -mm. So another thing I discovered in my research is the um, quite fascinating. All the old burial grounds around Creef where I live are uh, built on top of um, volcanic fault lines. Mm -hmm. Our ancestors buried the dead in falls. And uh, Creef, of course, has the Highland Boundary Fault uh, running past it here about a mile away. And that's where I discovered the uh, Wachter Tire burial ground is built directly on top of the Highland Boundary Fault. And then there's another one about a mile away, which is also built on top of the uh, Highland Boundary Fault. And uh, when I was doing my research, I discovered uh, this is once I'd finished all my work in the petroglyphs, the cut mark stones. Uh, I discovered when I used my divine rose in a churchyard, I could find energy coming from every grave, a spiral of energy. In one particular case, um, 
I found uh, one grave that uh, I knew the woman, but uh, unusually, not only had her name on it, it had her address on it as well too, which I've never seen before or since in any graveyard. And her little cottage was called the Sheehan Cottage, Fairy Cottage, uh, just about a mile down the road. So I thought, I wonder if there's a connection. So I picked up the energy from her grave, followed it along the road. I didn't actually go into the road, I went onto the rather rough uh, side of the road and I stumbled my way for about a mile towards the cottage. And then I found that this wave of energy, what I now call a spirit line, uh, turned into, just before it came to the cottage, there was a door in the wall. And this type of energy always seeks out weak points in the wall or anything else. Mm. So I went through this door into private ground. And of course, uh, I didn't want to go into private ground, but as things turned out, <coughs> the lady who now owns the cottage uh, asked me to go and check her place when she discovered what I was doing. So I picked up the energy from the other side of the door and this spirit line went through the back door, up the stairs and went into the woman's bed, this deceased woman's bed and spiralled into her bed. So there's a connection between the person in the graveyard and the, the, where they've been sleeping or spending a lot of time. And was that actually where she died in that bed? Uh, no, she would die in hospital. But the, right. thing, the thing about these spirals, these spirals in people's beds, I couldn't understand it at first. I always thought, you know, for years when I was doing my earth energy research, if a person was ill, it was because they were sleeping above a fault line or because they were sleeping above an underground stream. But I often found that these spirals were only about four or five feet across, not like the energy that comes from an underground stream. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand that until I came to realise that um, when a person's ill, they actually leave the trace of their own energy in their bed. So if you have uh, ME, for instance, you leave a black spiral, a very powerful black spiral mm -hmm. in your bed. Uh, people with cancers uh, can leave a tremendous black spiral. But not only that, I found that, as I say, this line, the spirit line, went into uh, this uh, woman's bed, but also attracted thousands of other energies, other spirit lines, which had nowhere to go. And they were attracted into her bed as well, too, into the black spiral. Bearing in mind, you also get the white. Um, I haven't uh, told you about that properly. Every grave has a black spiral of energy coming from it clockwise. You also get uh, a spiral of good white energy anti-clockwise. So you actually get two spirals, one positive, one negative. And they walk, they go for some distance around the graveyard, wandering all over the place until they, they meet each other, and then they coalesce to form a wave about three meters. Mm -hmm. So um, you get that black energy in a bed plus white energy. I'm not sure about this at all. I'm still trying, struggling my way through that. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if these energies are actually vampirizing people's energy, especially if they're ill. Mm. Even if you have a broken leg, for instance, you'll find you put a black spiral of energy down at your leg, wherever the uh, problem is. Mm. But as I say, cancer is one of the most... Uh, uh, the most destructive, most powerful of energies in a person's bed. Very important, that thing. Now, do you think, is this um, spiral of energy, is this tied to the actual bed? So if you move the bed, does the spiral stay where it was? Or does it move <coughs> the the spir spiral's attached to the bed, anything, mm -hmm. or a seat, or an armchair. Mm -hmm. So if you get rid of the bed, or armchair, or whatever, the spiral goes with it as well, too. Mm -hmm. But then you put your own black spiral if you happen to be ill. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how long they last. I wouldn't think it would last very long. A healthy person might negate that black spiral more or less immediately and put their own healthy energy in their bed. Mm -hmm. Now, um, just in terms of the using the terms black and white, you know, people may be a bit confused as where you're getting this uh, this from. I'm always trying to avoid you know using terms like positive, negative. 
Yeah, it can be confusing. Like, yeah, um, tend to think of it more in terms of electricity. You know, it's neither good nor bad. Mm -hmm. It's just a categorization. But you actually use coloured rods, don't you? Uh, I used to do it to begin with. I used a white divining rod, angle rod, to pick up the good energy, and a black one mm -hmm. to pick up the black energy. Um, but after a while, uh, I could dispense with the colour. I could use my black one to find white energy, or a white one to find black energy. But <clears throat> one important thing about these spirit lines, as I say, they'll always enter a, a resonant cavity, like a house, for instance, but they always go through a weak point. And uh, the black energy won't go through glass, so you'll always find the black energy coming through just between the glass window and the stone stonework. Mm. Just in the woodwork Good around thing. the window, mm. that's an easy access for them. But they also they can also come through the stonework as well too. Mm. And the chimney is another point where they can seem to come in, and through the door as well too. Almost as if the spirit was walking up the uh, stairs and into the room. Mm. So you can get thousands. In a very bad case, you can get up to about a thousand or maybe even more mm. of these spirit lines coming into a person being uh, who's suffering from cancer, as I had there in Dundee recently. One woman. When we went into our bedroom, the energy in the place was appalling. It really was. I could feel it, and I don't normally feel these sort of things. Mm. But she was attracting somehow an awful lot of black energy. Mm. And she thought she was being attacked by a demon, but she wasn't uh, discovered later she had cancer. I find that quite interesting, what you're saying about the chimneys. Um, certainly a few years ago, when I wasn't really sure of what I was dowsing, I just knew I was picking up a line. Um, I did find in a three-storey house a line coming in on the ground floor, mm -hmm. moving up the chimney, yeah, and then coming out on the first floor. Maybe the ca it's, a, it's an attraction as well to another cavity, yeah. resonant cavity, and maybe the suit in the chimney as well too, which are attracted to it. Because I discovered years ago when I was falling, I mean I walked about 3,000 miles falling the energies from the cut mat stones to find out how they were working, and every so often I would come to a, the remains of a bonfire as if I was being attracted into the charcoal of the bonfire. And of course that brings us back into the old Beltane ceremonies, uh, mm. you know, the old, uh, as they did maybe a few hundred years ago. Well that's still like the um, acupuncture of the land, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. attracting yeah. these energy. Yeah. And certainly, you know, um, uh, eating a stone will uh, hold the intent in it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's not good to bonfires next to standing stones. Mm -hmm. Um, getting back to your cu the, uh, the cup mark lay, I wanted to talk a bit more about that and the stone. I mean, is this something you find on all cup marks, or do you think the position of the stone with the cup marks is, is important as well? Uh, I find the cup marks are different types. Um, I found another cup mark stone which is uh, some distance away from the, the one I've been working on for some time. It only had about nine cup marks on it, but I followed the energy down. <laughs> only later discovered that it was following an underground fault. I didn't realise that at the time. Uh, that's another thing which I didn't mention, that cut mark stone which I was working on, the Fulford Inn, mm. it took me about 15 years to discover that cut mark stone is actually above the Highland Boundary Fault. That's where it's getting its energy from. But this was a smaller cut mark stone and I followed the energy from that and I went over this, um, I followed the fault line, and I went uh, down to Loch Turret and then it followed the river up Loch Turret, round the loch itself, away up into the hills until there was hardly any river there at all, just a tiny wee burn. Then all of a sudden, without any warning, it turned, the energy turned to the right. And I found there was a little shielding there, one of the ancient houses, and it made a shield of energy around this house. There was nine cut marks to that stone, there was nine little shillings, and the idea of that was to transmit energy, so it put a pool of energy, protective energy, I, pre I presume, around each of these little shillings. They knew what they were doing there about a thousand years ago, and until quite recently as well too. So the cut marks are like an etheric map? 
That's right, yeah. projection of energy across country to uh, protect people's houses from spirits and various things which our ancestors were terrified of. Right. Maybe quite rightly as well, too. Right. Hmm, interesting. I've always thought cut marks had some sort of astronomical significance. That could be as well, too. Yeah. That's, no, I would, I'm only working one facet of this. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't it? even be surprised if the astro astro astronomy would be uh, very much implicated in that as well, too. Uh, there are so many facets to this. Yes, yeah, that's, that's very interesting journey, isn't like, it? But, yeah. Um, now, one of the, uh, still on the cut marks thing, one of the early pictures I remember seeing of you was in Pitkar Suterain. Pitkar Suterain, that was good, yeah. Which is uh, uh, one of the finest examples, I think, of, uh, mm -hmm. of the genre. It's certainly the biggest mm -hmm. one I've been in. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a cut mark stone in the wall there, just by the entrance. That's the right. Yeah. Entrance. Uh, yes, uh -huh. Yeah, and that was the picture of you was um, bending down examining that. Yes, but uh, I do have an illustration in my book as well too. They have a capstone which had been taken away which also was heavily cut marked mm. and uh, that would be put above that stone as well too, giving energy from the upright stone and from the one above as well too. So it's obviously we're doing something with natural earth energies. And most uh, archaeologists think that these souterrains were for people to hide in when they're being attacked, mm. but nobody in their right mind would go into a an underground cave if they were being attacked. That's well, exactly. the possible place they could go. Exactly. It's better to run. <laughs> and the other theory about um, you know keeping animals warm in winter. I mean, you know, yes, I can't right. imagine you trying to turn a sheep round in a space like that. You know? uh, <laughs> one thing about Pitcar as well too. If you've seen a plan of it as well too, it's rather like a drawing of an ear. Mm. You know, in an ear, you're sort of mm. labyrinth sort of drawing. Mm. So it's obviously very much involved in the earth energies there. Yeah, that was my feeling of it as well. Because I mean, why build something in such a serpentine layer mm -hmm. if you're not? correlating to some sort of um, yeah, earth so. energy. Mm -hmm. um, have you read, there's a, a rather good book that came out uh, last year, I think, called Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty? Very good indeed. Very good, because mm -hmm. that, um, I think, correlates a lot of your research. Yes, that's These sites being built over mm -hmm. faults mm -hmm. and uh, magnetic discontinuities, mm -hmm. as though they were deliberately... You know, yes, yeah, so I'm glad scientists are beginning to understand these sort of things. That I keep thinking that once they, they understand that energy comes from standing stones, all sorts of scientists will be climbing the bandwagon and start to get, try and find out Say you know, read my book, yeah, and all the others are working in the research as well. Uh, what would you say your most uh, difficult uh, dowsing assignment has been? Uh, one recently with a woman being attacked by invisible demon. I've had three, four people being attacked by invisible demons so far. Um, the first one was a woman in Edinburgh. I gave a talk in Edinburgh. I mentioned something about demons. I didn't have any. I didn't. Ha I haven't had any work uh, with them so far up till then. But she'd heard about me in my talk, and she phoned me up and said I've been attacked sexually every night by an invisible demon. And I thought at first, you know, maybe the woman's something wrong with her. But I went to uh, Edinburgh, and I met this woman, her husband was there at the time, and he said, you know, I was attacked as well too, lying in my bed beside my wife. And uh, uh, eventually I managed to get information from him. Apparently they'd both been in uh, Africa uh, some few years before that, before the attack started. And uh, she'd stolen this uh, new husband from this other woman. And uh, then I had a flash of inspiration. I said, uh, did his wife actually keep any of your husband's clothes? And she said, yes, she kept his underpants, his trousers. Mm. And I said, well, you know what happened there? She went to a juju doctor and uh, they put a hex on you. So um, I tried my best. I, us I usually use, uh, I used to use cut mark stones and put them outside the house, which helps to protect them from certain types of energies. But that made things worse. She said that it was even more violent uh, after that, mm. as if I'd upset it. Mm. And she eventually got help from a, 
think it was a dentist in Edinburgh uh, who did some ceremonial candle magic and got rid of it. And I phoned him up and he said, uh, you don't know about these things in this country, do you? He said, uh, just leave it to me. I mm. never did discover how he did that. Uh, there was also another two ladies in Edinburgh. Um, one, they were both in that, well, one was a nurse, the other one was crippled with polio. And uh, they didn't say to each other, but the woman, they, they had two bedrooms, separate bedrooms, one above each other. And this woman said she was being attacked every night with this demonic possession. And uh, the sister beneath her bed was being violently shaken. But neither would speak to each other because, you know, they didn't want to say to each other. Mm. Until it got too bad and they started, they got in touch with me. And uh, during the conversation, uh, they told me that they'd been sitting in their room looking out over Edinburgh. And they saw this golden disc shape in the distance that came towards their house at uh, quite a fantastic speed. And she said the whole house lit up orange and then gradually faded away and that's when the attack started. And they found a black spiral just at the woman's hips in her bed and uh, the woman who was paralysed, partially paralysed, the black spiral was at the foot of her bed. So her bed was being shaken, the other, bed, the other woman was being attacked. So that's about into it. I've had another one or two minor cases of uh, people being attacked by invisible demons. But the most recent one was the one in Dundee. Uh, that was where the case of she had something like about a thousand of these spirit lights coming into the centre of her bed. And um, she also told me, completely threw me off in the wrong track, she told me, told me that she heard her husband's voice saying, I'm trying to make angels between us. Her husband had died two years prior to that. Mm. And uh, she also said that um, after a while he got all of his friends in, she'd been repeatedly attacked by quite a number of different entities. But uh, eventually she went to the doctor and discovered that she had cervical cancer, and that was the cause. After they, they did some uh, treatment, gave her treatment, uh, the attack stopped. So you have to be very careful. And she threw me because the voices, she, oh, she said that she heard voices. That's the brain trying to make sense of things she couldn't understand. Interesting. Now, some of your other work uh, I know has been involved with um, electromagnetic stress and uh, that sort of thing. Can you talk, talk a bit about that? Electromagnetic stress, that's yeah. um, the actual energies from televisions and that and, sort of thing. And you know, high voltage power lines. Yes, high voltage power lines. That's, I wonder really wish I'd been an electrical engineer to trade instead of mm. a printer. I could understand these things. But uh, having said that, you know, you do have to have your mindset if you're an electrical engineer and you may not be able to pick up these sort of things. I'm coming to it from a different perspective. But one thing I did discover, which I don't think people have discovered before, is uh, when I was working on these uh, cell phones, you know, the masts, mm -hmm. I discovered that uh, they radiate out the um, waves of energy like the spokes of a bicycle wheel. But if you have, for instance, an underground stream running across in front, you find that underground stream gives out spirals of energy. And uh, as soon as any one wave touches a spiral and it focuses it into the centre, so you may have hot spots all the way down, picking up maybe several hundred, even a thousand of these energy waves into the centre. And if you happen to have an underground stream underneath your bed, for instance, it may be possible that you're picking up or you're collecting your body or your bed is collecting all these energies from these um, waves all to one point, one hot spot. That's something I don't think the experts know about. Hmm. Are these black spirals, uh, are they similar to the ones you're talking about with the spirit lights? Is it, you know, uh, they, they are rather similar, but they've all got their own unique wavelength and uh, wave amplitude. Mm -hmm. That's one way I normally find out the difference between these things. 
What would you say uh, has been the most unusual F energy configuration you've come across? Well, I was um, some years ago, I was asked by the local tourist association, I got a telephone call, and this woman said, uh, there's a glamorous American blonde here, she's read your first book and she's dying to meet you. So I said, well, fill her up then. It was only about 100 yards down the road. So that's how I came to meet Bernadette Cahill, a very attractive woman, American, Irish, uh, born, brought up in Glasgow, and she had her own radio show in America, and she's a pilot, um, author, um, poet, poet, practically everything under the sun. And we had a very nice uh, talk for about an hour or so, and then as she left, she said, uh, I live in Jackson in Mississippi in America, and she said, uh, when I go there, I feel so ill that I can't do anything. I go away elsewhere for a holiday and feel fine, go back to Mississippi and Jackson, and I feel ill again. So as she left out the door, I said, um, from my experience, try and find out if there's anything underneath your, um, your house, uh, for instance, an underground stream or anything like that. And she phoned me back, as soon as she got back to America, she said, you know, I can't believe this. She said, I've been down to the local geologist, and they gave me a side scan of Jackson, and this town was actually built on top of a 19,000-foot volcano. Mm. And she sent me a side scan of it, and you can see the, the volcano going up, but Jackson perched in the top. So after that, she began to think, and then she realised that... Um, Jackson shouldn't have been built there at all. It should have been built about five miles ago, five miles away. It was one of the capitals. Uh, but somebody very high up in America said, no, it's got, not got to be built there at all. It's got to be built there nowhere else. Probably the Freemasons. Mm. And uh, then she discovered that Jackson was uh, on the 90 degree latitude line, exactly. And uh, she did a little bit more research and discovered very quickly that there was a whole line of capital cities uh, running on that uh, long, longitudinal line, 90 degree line. Uh, a little bit more research that she discovered that uh, from east to west there was another line going across from Washington. So it was actually a cross, or more correctly, two crosses, a double cross. All of these, uh, all of these uh, capital cities placed on these lines. So the Freemasons were undoubtedly doing something there and uh, planning the whole of uh, America into some sort of, uh, what do you say, sign, symbol or something like that, double cross, like, anyway, like the Ku Klux Klan perhaps, who knows. So I found out after that that the <coughs> Americans were very heavily involved with Scottish Freemasonry. Apparently when they were building the White House, there was a party of 60 Freemasons went from Aberdeenshire to build the White House and they used to, they found out where to build the White House exactly, put down the cornerstone, had a ceremony to bless the, the cornerstone, then they went to the local pub and had 16 whiskies or whatever they, they had then. Uh, after the 16th they couldn't remember where the cornerstone was and they never discovered it and they had to build the, the White House and the ground, you know, not quite in the correct place. That, that was one of the most interesting aspects of the Freemasons and the work I've been doing. But I've also discovered that the Freemasons were heavily involved in building the town of Creef. Mm. Let's say, there's two, there's two streets here, King Street and um, Burl Street, and they both look very like the bottom part of a star. And for 20 years, 30 years, I've looked at the plan of Creef, and I thought, there's some symbol here, and I just can't quite figure it out. So once again, I got my divining rods out and started a walk down King Street. I walked about seven miles, couldn't find anything at all, except one standing stone. 
and uh, I discovered eventually the energy was actually coming from a volcanic plug. They're always very mixed up with volcanic plugs and earth energies here. Uh, the volcanic plug of Dumbart Dumbarton, the ancient seat of the kings, that's why it's called King Street. Burdle Street comes down an angle, and that comes from Stirling Castle, another ancient seat of the kings. The High Street uh, followed actually across the hills and came to a standing stone top of a hill, part of the stone circle. Then they discovered that uh, all the old burial grounds were all lined up in the sixth point of the star. Uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about uh, the use of crystals on, on lays. Uh -huh. I know you've done some work with that. Yes, uh, I remember one particular case. Um, there's a stone circle at Fells Wester here, and uh, when I was doing my research, I used to go around uh, gluing crystals, super gluing crystals onto standing stone, and discovered that they amplified the energy about 100% or so, not very much. But one particular case at Fells Wester, <coughs> I did that, and uh, I had two friends, and we were walking away, and I felt something very strange. I didn't, I can't even describe what happened, something very odd feeling I got. But I never thought anything more of it. A few days later, I was giving a talk to Rotarians. Uh, Rotarians weren't very interested in ghosts and gullies and long-legged beasties at all, but uh, there was about half a dozen waitresses who were making a meal behind a, a cloth cover sort of place, uh, kitchen. And as soon as I finished, they all came swarming around me. They were very interested. And one of the waitresses said to me, I said, Mr. Cowney said, um, I've got uh, an article that's in the paper here that's going to come out this week about the Witch of Petentian. He said, do you know anything about it? And she gave me a, uh, showed me a copy of the, this uh, article. And apparently there was a woman and four children walking down this long straight path outside Creef. And to their amazement they saw something coming towards them. It was a little, tiny little woman, all dressed in green. But the strange thing was there was nothing from the knees down. It was an apparition. Mm. It floated up to them, the four of them, five of them, and it said uh, that she, that this apparition held up long, narrowed fingers, and their faces were all black and spotted. And it said, this apparition said, tee-hee, 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 then slowly vanished from the feet up. And she said, uh, do you know anything about that? And I said, oh, that's the same time as I was uh, amplifying the energy from a standing stone. Uh, which I shouldn't have done. There was dead silence after that. And Creek being a small place, it is a, <laughs> the whole place was terrified. <laughs> and people kept coming up to me in the street and said, well, you stop doing that. He said, we don't want these. Some people did. Other people said, we want more of that. You know, this is interesting. Mm. So then I had to write an article for the local paper to follow me. It was getting worse and worse. And I mentioned that, uh, you know, nothing, nothing to worry about. You know, I could get rid of these things quite easily. And I didn't have a clue. But uh, I got in touch with the Rican Society and they did some uh, distant healing in the place and thing disappeared, it's never been seen again. You've had other uh, poltergeists in Creefo, haven't you? Ah, yes, well, a very interesting case just down the road at the City Prices shop. I was in the shop years ago and uh, little girl Margaret there, she's a server, I heard her whispering to a friend, I heard her say, the door opened and closed and it's own again yesterday. And I said, eh? He said, oh, nothing. I said, come on, what's that? What is it? And they managed to get out of a huge heavy door. It occasionally opens and closes on its own. Not only that, they, I discovered after that there was a lot of things happening in that shop. The uh, owner, he, he, he used to go in there practically every night until 11 o'clock, uh, you know, refacing the shelves, putting things back and doing all sorts of things in the shop. And he said he was standing at the counter and he had a, a very loud cough just at his ear. 
and he froze because there was nobody supposed to be in the shop and they were locked. And it took him some while before he could gather himself to look around. There was nobody there at all. And uh, then from time to time a ghostly figure would be seen wandering around the shop. Uh, not only that, but spray cans, would be, he would face up the shelves at night, come in the morning, spray cans would be all over the place. And there was a lot of underwear there as well, too, clothes, and they'd be thrown all over the place. Hmm. Just this one particular spot. So I used my divining rods and I found a line of energy, spirit line coming through the window, which is very unusual, they don't come through glass. And uh, they went round to the left hand side of the shop and then disappeared, there was a spiral there, just where all the clothes were thrown away, thrown around. And the energy went into the wall, and they said at the time, well, there's a door there, which I never thought anything of, because uh, <coughs> it was only later that um, a paranormal expert came from King's Kettle with his uh, medium. Uh, she'd never been to Creek before, and he didn't tell her what was going on. And they took her to the shop and said, can you find anything going on here? And she stood just where John had heard the uh, disembodied cough. And said, oh, I can see a little old man who's coming through the window there. And that's in the line of energy I found. He said, he's walking around to the left, he's opening up a door and going upstairs. Uh, as I say, there's no sign of a door there now, and I never knew there was a door there, and she certainly didn't. But she could still see that little old man. I could find the energy with my divining rods, and she could see it with her inner vision or whatever it was. Mm. That was quite a fascinating case. But... Um, I did try and get rid of it for him, bearing in mind that his, uh, after a television program on it and quite a lot in the newspapers, his, uh, his, his um, cash, cash uh, went up about 60% in the following weeks. So he wasn't too keen getting rid of it, but he did get, we did get rid of it. And it's never been heard or seen since. But about 40 years ago, that shop's had a long, long history of uh, poltergeist. Mm. And apparently the... Uh, According to the medium, she said that this uh, little ghostly figure was Mr. Robinson, and he used to work there about a hundred years ago. And the window was actually the, the uh, entrance to an old inn, and it was his job to come in every night, ten, ten o'clock, and go and close the place up, and then he'd go through that door and up into his own room. So um, later on, when I discovered that, uh, I followed, picked up the energy from the window, followed it around, it was into the old burial ground at the back, and spirals into the burial ground at a, a grave there. But the whole place has been defaced, so there's no way of finding out what particular grave it is. Hmm. Fascinating. Have you, thought, have you come across any uh, Roman residents in this area? No, the Romans, no, I haven't done anything with the Romans. I've never found anything. The Romans didn't seem to do very much with this, uh, this earth energy. Hmm. Yeah, they had a quite strong presence just uh, around here, didn't they? Well, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of Roman things around here, but mm. nothing connected. It's all Bronze Age and leading up to fairly recently as well, too, in churches. Uh, when I discovered the energy coming from the old burial grounds, I went to the Irish Round Tower at uh, Abernethy, mm. outside Perth, and uh, I discovered to my amazement that these round towers are actually attracting all the black energies from the graves. Mm-hmm. Thousands of them, and uh, as far as I can see, according to Professor Callaghan, he believes that these round towers were built to resonate at a certain frequency. Simply by the doors were always uh, very high up, about ten feet up, up to about a third of the way up. Nobody could ever understand it. And his theory was that they would put earth underneath that to resonate at a precise frequency, which I go along with. It's quite, mm-hmm. it's good. But um, find all the black energy going into the. I was attracting all the black energy into it, and whether it went up or down, I don't know, because there's a, a spiral, an iron spiral staircase now, which alters the whole thing. 
But uh, after that, I picked up the healthy energy from it, and I found that these all escaped from the uh, from this graveyard, and I followed it up the uh, up the road towards Cooper Angus, I think it was, to the village in the distance. And I was following along the road, this white energy, and all of a sudden it turned the right angles. And I thought, that's strange. And I looked across, and there was another burial ground, a new one this time, modern one, mm-hmm. the other side of the road. So I presume all these energies, uh, I was actually got mixed up. I was picking up the energy from that. Very easy to get mixed up between one line and another, especially when people are looking at you with curiosity. <laughs> So that, that's the reason for these Irish rain towers. Not only that, there's one, another one at Brechin, and uh, if you line up the two and uh, project it to the southwest, it goes to I think Elsa Craig volcanic plug. Mm-hmm. Always volcanic plugs. That's why there's so many stone circles and standing stones around this area because of the volcanic anomalies. Not so much in England. Yeah, I've also found the round towers fascinating myself, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, as you saw, I made the round tower as well to a model one, put it in the garden, mm. and it attracts all the unhealthy energies from the uh, substation, which are about 10 yards away. And also it picks up the, uh, the black energy from my pet cat, which are buried a few yards away. It seems to attract um, all the spirit lines plus the energies from that uh, step down transformer. Mm. So, uh, what would you say? What's your favourite method of uh, dealing with these uh, spirit lines? I've tried, tried all sorts of things. Um, cut my stone was uh, what I first tried. Uh, they get rid of some types of energy, some ley lines. They don't get rid of the spirit lines. Uh, for spirit lines, I've tried putting a crystal, um, quartzite crystal, uh, under stress for a little. Uh, carpenter's vice, tiny little thing, and you can find that that gives energy. If it's a long crystal, it gives energy like a laser, four and a half, and you have to put four around your bed. That seems to stop it, but it doesn't stop it for a long time. Mm. Uh, I've also tried the Tibetan bowl, ringing a Tibetan bowl over every night, which seems to get rid of it for a while. Don't we just over the bed? Uh, yes, over round, just around the bed, put a black spiral. I've got, I've got broken neck, so I've got black spiral on my neck, I know that one too well. Mm. But, um, that's another way of getting rid of it. But I think for the future maybe some expert will come up. But I think the only way to get rid of it is to get a resonating crystal um, at a certain frequency, by purely by um, electromagnetic means, you know, electric machine mm-hmm. of some sort, resonating a crystal, keeping it under the bed all, all the time, and that should be able to get rid of it. But that's a bit beyond my powers of uh, building anything. Well, this is similar to um, devices like the, the Raditech and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think a Raditech. Uh, there's uh, the Bailey one with it. I think that works on a resonating crystal. Uh, yes, that's in a perspex cube. Yeah. Yes, I never find them effective unless you actually put them in a black spiral. Mm. Now, that's the problem with this work. It's like the Chinese Feng Shui experts are all arguing between each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we don't like each other very much, but I go on perfectly well with all the other researchers. Mm. I was going to tell you about another black spiral up at Tyndrum. I was oh, asked, yes, I was asked to go there. Mm. Um, the chap, had uh, his wife had uh, breast cancer, and I found a black spiral of energy just at her breast in her bed. And he said, where does the energy come from? And I said, I've got a good idea. I looked up into the hills. There's an old lead mine there which is a vertical fissure of quartzite, which has had the galleys and horizontally and also vertically as well too. And the energy coming from from that is abysmal. And it's all focused, it all goes into the time drum. After that, sometime after, I asked me to go and check a friend's bed. Husband and wife, both of them had, uh, were losing their eyesight, both at the same time. Bit unusual. Uh, so I went up there a week later, but unfortunately the man had died by that time, and his wife didn't want anything to know about this sort of thing, so he had the keys. 
So I check the bed and I find a black spiral at uh, his side of the bed and his pillow, and another black spiral on her side of the bed with a, a line of energy coming from a nearby burial ground going through the two of them. Mm. And so I followed it down the stairs and while he was closing the uh, door up, and I followed it just a short distance and I found myself standing in a metal, uh, what we call a stank, you know, um, yeah, spare yeah. stank, which had the words, uh, it was um, for... Uh, lavatory, what you call it, it's a cesspit of some sort. Mm. And the energy had been, it was attracted into that, into two of them actually, before they went up to their bed. Nearly were both of them losing their eyesight at the same time. Some really interesting stuff. Oh, David, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Oh, today, but, uh, I think that's been most of the stuff anyway. Yeah, no, it's fascinating talking to you. <laughs> uh, where are you at just now at the moment? Uh, what, what is your dowsing taking you now? Uh, nowhere at all. No, I'm still. Just coming to terms with spirit lines and uh, I'm getting involved with the Paranormal Society. Mm-hmm. Um, did I tell you about the story about the birthing room? No. No. no, okay. no. I was asked to go to Castle Mingestair a few weeks ago and uh, they found black spirals all over the place. The place is badly haunted, a lot of bad energy in that place. Uh, castles are very bad normally. And uh, they asked me to check one room in particular and I found a black line of energy coming in once again beside, between the little old window and the thick stone walls. And it came in and it spiralled in front of an old, old fireplace. So it spiralled in front of the fireplace and I said, uh, you've got a spiral, black spiral here, what happened here? And the girl said, we thought so, this is the old birthing room belonging to the Mingus clan. And she said that uh, apparently if any child was born and it was either ill or female, they would suffocate it and put it into the fire. Whoa. So there was an energy uh, link between the person who would be kneeling in front of the fire and also the old graveyard at Weem, which is about half a mile away. So once again, there's a link of energy between the graveyard and the person wherever's doing something or other. That is very odd, very interesting. Uh, there's another story as well, too, Black Spirals. I was asked to go up to a little sheep farm outside Creef. A young girl asked me, invited me up and said, would you like a cup of tea? In other words, would you come and do my place for nothing? Which is often happens nowadays. <laughs> so um, I went up to see a lovely couple and uh, she said, uh, can you remember my grandfather? He used to be a keen expert, in, uh, she, one of the best sheep experts in the country. I said, oh, I said I've met him before, lovely guy. And she said, would you like to meet him again? I said, yes. And then I thought, he'd been dead about five years. And uh, she brought out this funeral album from the from her cupboard. She said, there he is. <laughs> she said, can you find any, anything coming from that? So I'm a wee bit mystified. I found a black spiral coming from there. And we followed it out the door and up the stairs and into one of the several bedrooms and it spiralled into one of the beds there, just about the chest. I said, well, there's a link between there and this bed here, just the chest. She said, that's grandmother. That was his wife. And I said, is there anything wrong with her heart? She said, he's got, she's, he's got a bad heart. So once again, there's the energy between the funeral oven and uh, his wife with a bad heart mm. being attracted into that area. Mm. Very odd. Bearing in mind, of course, that the Chinese knew about that. Uh, they would never allow a person to die in the family bed. If a person was dying, they would take them away and let them die elsewhere rather than have the uh, family bed haunted. Chinese knew a lot about this. Yeah. And not only that, but apparently in... Oh, and somewhere in China, I can't remember exactly where, there was all these giant vases dotted around this old graveyard. 
and the British missionaries couldn't understand it until they opened one to discover a dead Chinaman inside it, and they called them potted Chinaman, and they were always waiting to be buried at the correct time for the beneficial energies of their sons or daughters or whatever, had to be buried at a precise time, precise place, precise orientation, everything had to be done perfectly, Mm. all for the good of the descendants. Yeah, I often wonder if our Neolithic ancestors were more aware of this sort of well, stuff. They, they were much more aware. Yeah. Taking the bones into the long barrel. <coughs> That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. They were much more sensitive than we are. You've yeah. lost a lot. Yeah, we've lost so much. We're just barely scratching the surface to mm-hmm. try to rediscover it all. Uh, finally, is there uh, any advice you could give to uh, newcomers to dowsing? Uh, the, advice, the, the advice I've always told other people, if you're, following a, if you're working on ley lines, you have to be able to follow them for a considerable distance to find out what, how they work and the, the wavelength and the, all the various different qualities of them. For instance, straight ley lines will go over a hill without any problem at all. They don't seem to be deviated at all by anything. They always go from point to point. And also, straight ley lines aren't a very narrow line that can be 150 yards across because there's streams of energy. That's what the mm. <coughs> armchair experts don't understand. They're always trying to line them up within a few feet, but it doesn't work that way. Our ancestors couldn't care less if they were 50 yards along or 100 yards across, as long as they did the job. And that was to focus the energy through burial grounds, into burial grounds. Another thing, before I forget, there was an um, ancient cut mark stone at Fortingal, uh-huh. and... Uh, I was with Pat Toms at the time, and they came around. I was showing uh, a number of people how to pick up the energies from the graves. And he said, Dave said, you know anything about this cut mark stone in this little annex? And I said, I've never even seen it. And I went around, and there was a lovely cut mark stone that was about three feet high, filled with very, very deep cut marks. I know the one. And then somebody else came up and said, I find all the energies from the graves going in there. And of course, disbelieving as usual, I tried it myself and found, yeah, sure enough, all the energies were going into that cut mark stone. Presumably dumped into a fault underneath it, and they, that was one way of getting rid of these black spirals. But more, even more interesting, opposite there is a cairn of the cairn of the dead, which is where they buried the bubonic plagues uh, oh, victims. Yeah. And when I tried to find the energies coming from there, they weren't dumped into anything. They were all attracted into the houses. Mm. So that wasn't working the way they, they should have been in the past. They, that was very hurriedly done, and not with geomancy in mind at all. So is that still the case there? Is that still, still the case, yes, work? yes. It's still yeah. there. All the energy is going into the wee thatched cottages. Right. <coughs> into the beds of the people who are ill, vampirising their energy, presumably. So Fortingal, not a terribly healthy place in New York. No, nowhere is healthy now. Yeah. There yeah. some places that are worse than others, but yeah. even Creef, where I live here, it's bad. So uh, are we going to get another book about this sort of stuff? No, 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 I've had enough of books. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took you, what, ten years to write the book? Yes, I'm 3,000 miles walking, I can't do that. Yeah. Well, that's been great, David. Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. My thanks once again to David for such a fascinating interview and for spending some time with us. Uh, David's book, Ley Lines and Earth Energies, is available from the BSD shop, price £15.99 plus postage and packing. His other book, Safe as Houses, is sadly out of print, but you can download it from his website, uh, which has recently moved and has a new web address. The address is now lay-man.co.uk. That's l-e-y-man.co.uk. As usual, I'll put a link to this on the main show page, which you can find at britishdowsers.org forward slash podcast. 
Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hadley Swan, England. For more details about the Society and find out how we can help you get more out of your dowsing, please see our website at britishdowsers.org. Now, we've been having some fun in the office recently uh, putting together an imaginary dance playlist of songs that have some relation to dowsing in their titles. Uh, Things like uh, Swinging Safari. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's a kind of magic. Uh, Bad Moon Rising and the like. It's been quite fun. Why not send us your playlist of songs having some connection to dowsing in the title to podcast at britishdowsers.org. You can also post messages on our forum, and you can even find us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com forward slash British Dowsers. Thanks for listening. Many thanks, as always, to Hilary Brooks for the music, and Ian Pegler for the new sting, and be sure to join us next time for more Adventures in Dowsing. <laughs>